Hey everybody, we're the Con Artists. We're back for another podcast episode. This time it's Scott and I talking about the uber-controversial Final Fantasy XIII. The first one. Hey there, folks. <laughs> yeah, he's got... Yeah, we're going to talk about the first one only. We're not talking about Final Fantasy XIII 2 or Lightning Returns. Although maybe someday. Yeah, someday when we play all of them. Okay, so let's uh, talk it off with the characters. You've got Lightning, who's plastered over the media forever. You've got Snow, a uh, toolbox who wears the beanie cap. Oh, the beanie cap. You've got uh, Hope, the 14-year-old boy. You have Saz, the man with the chocobo in his hair. Yes, I just said that. Yes, that really happens. Yeah, they really like promoted the heck out of that during the early promotion material. Like, exactly. This guy's got a they were in his like, hair. yeah, the, the little chocobo pops out and it's like, eee, I'm here. And you're like, that's cool. Sure, why not? It is kind of cute. It is pretty cute. I mean, I won't, I will admit it's really cute and its symbolism is really adorable once you figure out what it's all about. Then you've got Fang. Fang is the, the best. best character. And then you've got Vanille, who uh, I think we'll get into her a little bit more later, but she really shocked me because you meet her and you're ready to hate this girl. And I am 100% you know, ready to hate Vanille. She's just all right in the end. You really don't 100% hate her in the end. So pretty shocking. Yeah, but she's like the, the chipper go get him kind of character, at least on the surface. Yeah, oh my goodness. And then her voice is that like really high, like I'm trying to be the Japanese voiced actress. Oh, and yeah, you're like, you, you really don't need to do that. That was a mistake too. Okay, so the concept of 13 is actually pretty convoluted, but uh, I really don't want to give too much of the plot away. So uh, for the first time, maybe the second time, I'm probably going to say that there are limited spoilers in this one, so you can listen to it without too many problems. Yeah. So there are these things called the Falci. They are kind of like gods, and they're on the world that we live in. Cocoon. Cocoon is very, like, cyberpunk-esque. Yeah, like, futuristic-looking, uh, high-tech modern, I guess you'd say. You know, all the, yeah, all the modern conveniences, that sort of thing. But sort of powered by magic, almost. Yeah, and there's, like, lit-up highways, and... They got cars, I mean, that kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, and, like, light cycles, and... Yeah, like, a fusion of almost, like, Tron and something else. It's It, it definitely glows like Hong Kong. It's, it's Neon Tron. Yeah, that's a good way of... Yeah. All right, so you got Cocoon, and uh, so the Falci are gods that are living on Cocoon, but they also exist on the other world that you go to later, Pulse. Pulse is, uh, you know, it's just a 180 degree difference. Pulse is just this tribal, like, wilderness-filled place that is totally not like Cocoon. So you're looking at, like, nature versus hardcore man-made cyber structures, Right, and like the fallacies sort of reflect that. Like the ones on Cocoon are all kind of about maintaining order in, in society and so on, and the ones on Pulse are more about survival, the fittest, and that sort of thing. But they right. they don't like each other very much, which is a major major feature of the setting. Yeah, so they tend to uh, you know blend more into nature on Pulse. So what happens is the fallacy, the gods, they choose the humans on Cocoon, and they get turned into something called Lucy. Lucy are forced into something doing some sort of task called a focus and the focus is very confusing because people get like a prophetic dream of some sort and then they're supposed to like figure out exactly what their focus is and complete you're it you're gonna guess what they want you to do from the picture so but it can often be right, difficult exactly. to figure out what that is 
And the scary part is you're on a timer because if you don't complete your focus, you're turned into something called a Seath, which is this just giant raving monster with a human face and crystal body and it's kind of horrifying and you're just like, whoa. So, you know, you just wander around for all eternity in pain and regret. Or, if you complete your focus, you have the lucky privilege of being encased in crystal forever. But apparently not in pain, so that's better? Sure, Be maybe? Basically being turned into a uh, Lassie isn't the best deal as yes, a Yes, it, it's not the best thing. Yeah, it's, you know, when you're picked, it's practically a death sentence. And the idea of the plot is that when you're branded as a Lassie, cocoon with its world order, they, they basically just decide that you're a threat to the population and they want nothing to do with you, so they throw you on a train and they just exile you to Pulse, which they consider hell, basically. Right, and I mean, so the, the general plot is that our six main characters you mentioned are all turned into Lassie, like, simultaneously and given a fairly broad focus to complete, and they all end up getting sent down to, uh, uh, to Cocoon. I guess you should say four of them. You meet two others along the way that are already Lassie. But whatever, you're all, you're a team of six Lassie, and you gotta kind of right, figure out yeah. what the deal is. Yeah, so that's the idea, and uh, that's kind of where we pick up. Yeah, so I mean, we're not going to... Uh, you know, say too much more about the plot, basically go down there and you figure stuff out and explore this world that's down there that's different from what you've been told. And that's kind exactly. of the driving force of the plot. Yeah. Uh, and um, our characters are very special because they actually get the same focus, which is, I think, it, not even possible. Yeah, which is fairly unusual as far as Lassie go. Usually it's one guy gets a mission to do one thing. So this is pretty special. Uh, hence why it's a driving thing. All right, so that's the overall structure. And I guess first we're going to talk about the kind of stuff that we liked in the game. Stuff. Yeah, so shock value with Scott and I, we liked this game. <gasps> yeah, it, it got pretty mixed reviews and people were very polarized by it. We ended up in the we like it camp, so we'll be telling you about the stuff we liked and, you know, some of the stuff we didn't. But overall, you know, plus on Final Fantasy XIII. Uh, and probably right at the top of that list for us uh, is the battle system, which has been significantly revamped from previous Final Fantasies. They've been trying a lot of stuff in recent years with like Final Fantasy XII's Gambit system and that kind of thing. And this one changes it up some more so for one thing it's real time all the time it's not really active time battle i guess it's kind of similar but a big thing is there's no mp uh you don't have to you can cast like fire or whatever or cure as many times as you want in order and there's nothing preventing you from doing that which i really liked yeah that worked out great seriously because i didn't have to keep track of what the heck was going on and like oh no did i run out of mp Right. So it's, it's, I mean, your characters are supposed to be powerful and now you don't have to manage MP or find either's or any of that other stuff. You can just use powerful moves as much as you want. I mean, they balance them against physical. It's not like magic is necessarily stronger, but it makes for a much, right. I don't know, it's a simpler system to manage that sort of thing, which I like. Uh, another big deal is the role system. So there's several roles in the game. Uh, Commando, which is like pure damage. Ravager, which is like AoE damage and combo building. Sentinel, which is basically a tank. Medic, which is obvious. Saboteur, which is like a debuff type character. And Synergist, which is a buffing character. And you've got three party members at once, and you pick from among this set of roles, and it kind of gives you a makeup. You can have up to six of these sets of roles available to you in any given combat. So you kind of put your team together of characters, and then you pick what they're going to do, and now you hope you have the roles to react to the situations that you're going to come across in battle. It's pretty pretty good system, actually. 
Yeah, it looks like it's not going to work out the first time, and then you actually start playing it, and you start shifting the paradigms around and the roles around, and it becomes a lot of fun. And I think it was one of those things that when you first start learning it, you're like, oh, this is a piece of cake. I'm just going to keep the default three <laughs> roles they gave me. This is stupid. And then in the end, you really have to think it out. You're like, oh, okay. I only have three characters, I have these combinations, what's going to do the best for me, and what's going to work out the best for this scenario, and what's the best set of paradigms to put in, and you really just don't get the the opportunity to stick with one and chug that's, along. That's never going to work. Yeah, you, eventually you're just, you're just, you know, in this boss battles and you're flipping a mile a minute. Right, and also like, you know, if you think, oh, I'll just have, you know, a commando for damage and a sentinel to be tank and a medic to heal them. Some of those enemies are never going to go down if you stick with that. Like, sometimes you got to go all commanders and ravagers. Sometimes you got to go in defense mode where no one's attacking just to get your health back up. It really does make you think about ways to change the battle. Right. And what I liked, too, was that none of the roles really ever overpower another role. You know, you you needed the medics. You're like, oh, Sentinel? Like, Sentinel's a blow-off. Like, I just sit there and soak damage. And Sentinel was pivotal for a lot of the boss battles. And I had a lot of my people, like, learn Sentinel and learn to block and learn to evade. It was, it was critical mass. Yeah, and another, another big deal in terms of overall Final Fantasy, like, you know, development here... This is the first one where I really felt like debuffs mattered in regular battles. Because most of the time, you look at your enemies in Final Fantasy, and you're like, why am I going to gas poison that guy? I can kill him in two standard attacks. I'm not even going to bother. Finally, in this game, like debuffs being you know, the, uh, the saboteur role was useful against pretty much any kind of creatures. They did a great job there. Yeah, saboteur was critical. And it's definitely the uh, the sleeper type of role because they're like, oh, I'm just going to ignore Saboteur. And then, you know, I guess if you played enough Final Fantasies, you wouldn't even use them. And then if you don't, if you don't build that up, you're going to get in so much trouble later on. Seriously, you are. If you didn't push that upper limit of Saboteur, you're in big trouble. You know, like, what am I doing wrong? And the answer is, eh, you probably need poison or slow or something to get through this. Yeah, especially the uh, D-Shelga, D-Protectga. I mean, those are just amazing later in the game. Yes, definitely. Uh, I mean, we may talk a little bit about the battle system again later, but other good stuff. Uh, the setting was actually a really cool setting. Like, it, it's obvious they took a lot of time to think out what was going to be going on, and it kind of showed. Yeah, definitely did. Um, as with all Final Fantasy games, it looks beautiful. Um, Pulse, in particular, is just absolutely oh. gorgeous. Just breathtaking, all that nature. And... Uh, I know everyone is a huge fan of Nobuo Imatsu for the music, and uh, I think the guy who did it, mm. Hamauzu, is the one who did the soundtrack for 13. I, I just thought the music was phenomenal. Yeah, the music was really good. It fit the areas well. And, like, each of the areas definitely had their, their feel. Like, you know, Cocoon is really, everything moves fast. It's all glowing and neon and futuristic looking. And you get down to Pulse, and it's just these wide sweeping plains full of like you know wild creatures and cool looking plants and and it all looks gorgeous i mean these are all kinds of different colors it's it's different from a lot of you know the modern gen games where it's a lot of brown i mean this is everything looks gorgeous so good job for them most definitely feeding right off of that scott was a sense of culture and you get into cocoon and everything moves fast and everything's man-made and the people move fast like it's just always the whole thing felt like New York, like everybody's always yeah. on the move and everybody's got somewhere to go. And then you get to Pulse and Pulse is kind of weird. There's no 
people on it. We'll be talking about that later, but I mean, we couldn't find any if there are people. But the um, the whole setting, you get that sense that it's very tribal, that it's it's very communal.